Open your Bible with me this Sunday morning to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And you've been with us this last few weeks. You've noticed that we're taking our time through that chapter, therefore, where Paul now has opened up the second section of this epistle after talking about the doctrinal parts here into the practical parts of the letter. Where we first understand what is our wealth as believers, and now we understand how our walk should be as believers. Our walk now that we're following Jesus. In fact, in verse 1 of chapter 4, he said this, let's walk worthy. And he introduces this chapter here for us to understand that we as believers or called to unity as we walk together. It says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. It's a call for us to walk in unity, for us to walk in humility, so that we can be walking in unity. So we are walking together. Then last week, from verses 7 to verse 12, we notice how he's saying, let's serve together. Not only do we want to walk together, but let's serve together. Each of us has received a measure of grace according to the gift of Christ. There Ephesians 4, 7. That means that God has given each and every one of us a gift to use in the body. And as He's given us a gift that we would use in the body, those gifts are not for us to play with. Those gifts are us to use as tools to build with. Tools to build with. We're body builders. We said that last week, right? Body builders. Our responsibility is to build the body of Christ, to unify, to edify with those gifts. And if those gifts are not used in love, they'll become weapons to fight with. That's what happened to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. Paul approaches this church that is living out in carnality. And he explains to them and tells them that these gifts are to stimulate growth. The gifts that God has given you, are they, they are that you would stimulate growth in the body. And here we see the body life or body ministry represented where every part does its share now and cares for one another. Now notice this, an isolated Christian, a believer that thinks he doesn't need to gather, can't minister to other people nor other people can minister to them. And it's impossible for the gifts to be ministered either way if we're isolated. So we're called to this interdependence. Notice this, this interdependence in the members of the body where we share this mutual suffering and mutual joy. We care for one another as a body. Just, just think about this. When your head hurts, the entire body feels that pain, right? And that's exactly what he's explaining. We are all one body, so let's walk together, and then let's serve together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, write this down. It says this, And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. It's a diverse body. And God appointed those in the church, first apostles, 
second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Are all apostles, he asks? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Notice how diverse the body of Christ is now. Do you all have the gift of healings? Do you all speak in tongues? Do you all interpret? He's giving them instruction as how we ought to care for one another, although we are a very diverse body. And then he says this, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? Love. Can we say that together? It's what? Love. That is the greatest gift available to us. And when the church body is using the gifts described in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, it brings a proper now use. They, we use the gifts properly and brings now to the body of Christ to its full potential. What does it produce? Unity. It produces love and it produces the glory of God. So he's teaching us here to not misuse our gifts. To use them for the glory of God. Now notice, what do these gifts produce? What are the purpose of the gifts? Let's read it here, Ephesians 4, verse 12. This is the purpose. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we shall no longer be children touched to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Can we read verse 15 together out loud? It says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we ask right now, God, that we would speak the truth in love. Lord, that we would endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That we would understand that the body is diverse, has many members. And every member is important, Lord. And that the greatest gift that You've given to us available is love. So Lord, would You grow us together today in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Now today's title of the message is Let's Grow Together. First, we learned how to walk together, then how to then serve together, but now, how can we grow together? Let's grow together. There in verse 12, it speaks of the purpose of the gifts. What is the purpose of the gifts that are already described? It says, to build God's people. Now, the responsibility of those gifts are so that they bring fruit and building to the people in the church of God and that they would meet the needs of the congregation. Notice what it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Those gifts described in verse 11, as it mentioned, are there to equip the saints. Those are gifts that God has given to the leadership of His church so that they would equip the saints the church, the congregation, the body now. And notice that word equip speaks of perfecting so that they would perfect the saints. It, it speaks of making something fully ready or prepared so that you would make the body fully prepared 
and fully ready. It's the ancient Greek now word that is used to describe of setting broken bones into their place or mending nets. As when Christ went to call those disciples and it said that they were mending their nets and He says, come and follow Me, they were preparing their nets to be used. So likewise, these ministries in verse 11 work together to produce strong, fit, mended, fully ready, mature Christians. Now notice what happens here in in verse 12. It says, for the equipping, so that the church would be equipped for the work of the ministry. So that you would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So that the saints would be ready for the service. So that the saints would be ready for the ministry, to do the work. Oftentimes people ask me, well, I'm just praying about what's my home church going to be and where can I really grow and get my roots grounded deep? And, and would you pray for me for that? And I say, well, first of all, pray that God takes you to a Bible teaching church that teaches the Word of God and doesn't compromise the truth. But number two, pray where you're being blessed, a place where you are being blessed, and then also that very same place where you are being a blessing. How are you a blessing to other people? By serving. By serving. For the work of the ministry. You've been equipped for the work of the ministry. Oftentimes we come to church and and we wonder why uh, the church doesn't have have this available for me or this other thing available for me. And and we say, well, I, I just wish the church would do this more. And we have to stop asking ourselves that question and maybe move our attention to not what my church can do for me, but what can I do for my church? You see here how to equip the saints for what? For the work of the ministry. Those gifts are not to monopolize the ministry. The gifts that you have are not to hinder or hold back the ministry. But the gifts that you have are to mobilize the ministry so that the ministry would continue, so that you would be involved, so that you would serve, and so that you would meet the needs. That's why when we hear of an opportunity where there's a need, God's giving you a gift to meet that need in the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints to meet the needs of the ministry. You see, here in verse 12, we learn that the leaders in the church have the first responsibility to equip the people to serve and then to direct their service as God's leads. So the pastor teacher has described in verse 12, the the evangelists there, their first responsibility is to teach the Word then and equip the people to do the work. Now what happens when the people are being equipped by the Word of God? They begin to serve in the ministry. And what happens when the people are serving in the ministry? Notice verse 12, it says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The church grows spiritually. For spiritual edification, it builds up the church. That word edify means to build or to strengthen. It grows the body. So each gift that we have right here, each gift that you have that is represented here at the church, it's a contribution to the whole building up of the body. The body is equipped. The body is edified. And the body now becomes more like Christ as it's growing with one another. It's expanded now. It's it's strengthened. This is how, verse 12, the church grows spiritually. Not so much numerically, but how does the church 
grow spiritually. It's each member operating at its full potential in what they're gifted to do, what they're called to do, causing great growth in one another. You see, the local believers here that he's teaching to and us as we're reading and learning this, we're to minister to one another. We're to grow with one another. And when we minister to one another and we're growing with one another, you know what happens? We experience then spiritual unity. And that's exactly what he's talking about here in chapter 4, that you would endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. How does that happen? When you're equipped, when you meet the needs, and when you edify one another. So there's three stages presented here of unity. The leaders are responsible to equip the saints. The well-equipped saints then do the work of the ministry and meet the needs. And the result is that the body of Christ is built. Now notice, what is the final goal in all of that? Maturity, growth. Would you write that down today? That God would take us onto maturity, that we would fully grow up in the Lord? That we would really grow up? You know, there are four different now evidences that you're growing into maturity, the fruit of maturity. And we're going to look at those four evidences. The first one is Christ-likeness. If you're really growing into maturity, people will see Christ in you. The second one is stability, doctrinal stability, stability that you know the Word of God. Then the third one is truth joined with love, that you know how to speak the truth in love. And finally, the fourth one is cooperation, that you get along with one another. And that truly begins in the process of sanctification. You gave your life to Christ. Now you're being transformed more every single day to the image of God, to the image of the Son of God, In holiness, you're set apart for Him. So if verse 12 is happening, notice the impact in verse 13. This is the impact. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the impact? Maturity. Let's grow together. So these things are taking place in verse 12. And they take place until we all come. Now, notice that word there in verse 13. All. Circle the word all. Because we're all expected to grow. We're all expected to mature in Christ. But it says, until we all come to such unity of the faith. Till we all come to a doctrinal unity. Till we're all united in the truth together. And he's saying that this work is happening so that the body can be now united in the truth together. And when we are united in the truth together, we're also now growing in the knowledge of God's Son. This is why it explains it in verse 13, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, when the church is united doctrinally in the truth, when we're all gathered together in the truth, we're also all growing in our knowledge of God's Son. And the word now, knowledge, it's that Greek word epignosis, which talks about an experimental knowledge. Not only something that you know, but that it changes your life. Something that now you apply. So the knowledge of Christ, I want you to know this, should not produce in us pride. It should produce in us His image. Would you remember that? That the knowledge of God, that the more that you know of Christ, It should not produce in you pride. There are oftentimes people say, well, look how much I know of the Bible. Your knowledge of the Son of God is not for your own intellect. 
Your knowledge of the Son of God is so that people see Jesus in you. So that the fruits of the Spirit are revealed in your life. It's for the glory of God. In fact, it's so that we can grow to full maturity, which is Christ-likeness. So notice, this happens now till we all come to the unity of the faith. We're gathered in the truth. We grow in the knowledge of the Son of God that people see Jesus in us. And notice finally, the third part in verse 13. Now, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, until we come to full maturity. What is it that we're encouraged to do to come to full maturity? To the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is full maturity that God wants every believer to demonstrate the qualities of the Son. He is the standard to spiritual maturity. So our gifts are that we would grow and that there would be an evidence that we're growing in Christ-likeness so that Christ is on display in His church. Just think about it this. When, when a person comes to the church for the very first time as we gather together in fellowship and they're walking through those doors, they should leave thinking, we saw Jesus in the people that gathered together today in worship. We saw Jesus in them. Christ was on display. It wasn't a pastor. It wasn't a church name. It wasn't a denomination. Today we left with Jesus. And that's exactly what he's speaking, that we come now to an evidence of the full stature of the maturity of Christ. You see, this is the Word of God transforming the child of God into the image of the Son of God. We're growing gradually until we reach spiritual maturity. So the gifts here and how they operate are to bring the congregation, the body, the saints to the likeness of Jesus. Ask yourself today, how much of Christ am I like? When people see me, when they interact with you, when they talk to you, can they see Jesus? The people should be able to look at our lives and say, we saw Jesus. Because as as years go by, we're not saying, I just want to grow old in Jesus. No, I want to grow up in Jesus. And I want to continue to grow in Him, both as individuals and then corporately. And then after, what happens is that the things that take place in our life, we don't say, was this right or wrong? Was this just? Was this fair? And start to now look at other people and and, uh, for the things that happen to us. Instead, we say, did they produce Christ-likeness in me? What did it produce in me? Am I growing to be more mature in Christ Jesus? In fact, isn't that the verse that we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 so often? And we know that all things work together for what? For good. Not only the things that feel good, but also the things that don't feel good. They're working together for good. We're not blaming people. We're not making excuses. We're trusting in God that in everything He has a plan. For those who love God, those are called according to His purpose. Now notice that that next verse in Romans 8, verse 29. It says this, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is the purpose now of what those things that take place in our lives that we would be conformed to the image of His Son, that we would grow on to full maturity. Why? Because with maturity comes ministry. With maturity comes ministry. 
and with maturity comes unity. You know why oftentimes there is no unity? Because oftentimes there is no maturity. With maturity comes unity. And with maturity comes stability. This is why the first evidence of someone that is mature and growing in the Lord is the Christ-likeness that you see in their lives, that they're growing up to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. They're growing up to be more into the image of Christ. That's growing into maturity. That's what it looks like. But it also looks like doctrinal stability, that you're growing in maturity. Verse 14 says this, that we should no longer be children. That we should no longer be children. Children means that we should no longer be immature. It speaks of an immature believer, a believer that's very gullible, very vulnerable now, that's, that can be easily victimized now. It's, it refers to someone that is not yet old enough to speak for themselves, that they're helpless now, that they're inarticulate, that they're, that they're unstable, that they don't have discernment like a child. So he says that you would mature and no longer be a child. Why? Because as a child, notice what happens there. Verse 14, no longer be children that are tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. You see, I pray that you would mature here, Paul is saying. I pray that you would grow up so that you're not tossed around. That you're not blown away like like a stormy sea, like the waves of a stormy sea, you're just tossed one way or the another by every wind of teaching. You're carried away by everything that you hear. Your opinions, your theology is constantly changing. What does that mean? You're a spiritual babe. There's so many times that people come up to me and say, you know what, Pastor, I know you said this, but I was listening to a message on YouTube. Uh, stop right there. Get off of YouTube. Read your Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to give you interpretation. Because the best teacher is the Holy Spirit. The best teacher is the Holy Spirit. No longer be a child. Don't be gullible now. Don't be carried away with any teaching where where you haven't mastered the principles of of the Bible that you don't know uh, how to now exegete the Scriptures and understand and break them up for yourself where you form in your own convictions regarding the bedrock truths of the Bible for yourself. That's what we need to understand the Bible. You see, the gifts of the Spirit that are given to us by the grace of God are designed to get the church past a highly vulnerable state of infancy in our own Christian lives, so then when we can discern the difference between truth and error, So he's saying, I pray that you would mature, that you would grow, that you would grow up so that you no longer are are, are being tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. You see, sometimes we wrongly value movement over growth. I want you to be very careful that you don't in your life confuse movement over growth. And movement, it can be merely being tossed to and fro by a different teaching. But what we're called to and what God wants is that we would grow up in all things. Grow up to be more like His Son. In fact, it says this, we can be tossed to and fro. How? By the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting. Don't be influenced by everything you hear. 
Know the Bible. Because people want to trick you. In fact, the work of the enemy is to trick us using God's Word to deceive us. It speaks of a cunning craftiness. What does that mean? That how the enemy comes to deceive us, he does it very subtly. You don't even notice. It's so subtle. And he comes and he uses the Word and then he distorts the Word to draw you astray from God's plan. Did he not do that in the Garden of Eden to Eve? Or he said, you know what, God didn't truly say that. Let me tell you what he truly meant. Distorting the word of God. And he's saying, don't be a child being tossed to and fro because of your ignorance of God's word. In fact, what is it saying here? With lies. How does the enemy come? With lies. They're called deceitful plottings. It refers here to Satan's strategies to lie the wiles of the devil, the schemes, the methods of the devil. This is a peril to those that have not yet matured yet. This is the danger now. That oftentimes people sound so clever, but it's not the truth. So recognize it and stay away from it. Paul told the church, even in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, what did he say? This is the danger. For I know that after my departure, he was speaking to the church of Ephesus, Here in Acts 20, after my departure, savage wolves will come in against you, not sparing the flock. Isn't that why oftentimes you see people that are so charismatic, gifted speakers, they talk a lot, but they have nothing to say. And they come here just to tickle the ears of the people, and people want to go, and they draw into that. Why? Because it stirs emotion. It sensationalizes people. Paul said, after I leave, there's going to be some savage wolves that are going to come. They're going to try to kidnap you and take you to this new novelty or a new teaching. That's not how you grow. That's not how you mature. He's saying, I pray that you mature so that you're not tossed to and fro by everything that you hear. You see how he's urging them to grow? There's a need. And the need is that the church would work diligently for moving babes in Christ onto maturity through solid Bible teaching. That's it. Solid Bible teaching. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says this. Write it down. As newborn babes, when you first come to Christ, desire the pure milk of the Word that you would grow thereby. How do you grow? By desiring the pure milk. What is the pure milk? The Word of God. They wouldn't desire many things. You would desire only the Word of God. It's not the Word of God and something that makes you grow. It's only the Word of God. It's the pure Word of God, the unadulterated truth of the Word of God. Uh, Worship doesn't make you grow. Entertainment, lights, production in a church, those things don't make you grow. The only thing that makes you grow is the Word of God. In fact, Paul told Timothy the same thing. Did he not say it in 2 Timothy 3, verse 13? He said, but evil men, imposters, will grow worse and worse as the days get darker, deceiving and being deceived. Notice how he gives them that warning. There's a danger now. But you must continue in the things that you have learned. Continue, church, in the things that you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Know that you can trust those teachings because of who they come from. And from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures And you were able to be wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He goes on, he says, all Scripture is given 
by inspiration of God and is profitable. Notice what the Word of God is good for. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God is good for all those things. That the man of God may be complete, mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How does the church get thoroughly equipped? By the teaching of the Word of God. Not by anything else. How does the church grow mature now? How, does, how do we become complete? By the teaching of the Word of God. That's why it's so important to have sound doctrine in the church. How many of us can be grateful that over 40, 50 years, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jeff has been called that very thing, sound doctrine? <laughs> because it's been the teaching, the exposition of the Bible how do we look at Bible and its exposition? By its historical, its grammatical interpretation. By its authorial intent. What did the Holy Spirit mean for us to understand to that author now? You can't make the text mean what you want it to mean. Notice this. As you're studying the Bible every single day, and you bring out your journal and your notebook and to, to write down your devotions, notice this. The Bible only has one interpretation. It has many applications in our life, but it only has one interpretation. Notice, we are a church that are bound by the text of Scripture so that we would not be tossed to and fro. We read the text and we teach the text. We don't just get up and read and ramble. We study God's Word. The Bible says that there is power in that Word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is what? Living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the mind. The Word of God knows how to expose those things that we're battling with. And that's why we come to church and we study the Word of God so that we would not be children that are tossed to and fro. That's why I encourage you. When you come to church, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible because your Bible is, is really what helps you grow. How do you know that the person is up there is not making things up? Bring your Bible. Be a student of God's Word. I didn't say bring your phone or your iPad. I said bring your Bible. Because that's how you grow. It's the living breath of God that is right there. You're holding it in your hand. And notice, that's the purpose of the gifts, that we would not be tossed to and fro, but notice the language of love. Another sign of maturity, another sign of maturity, it's not simply in Christ's likeness or doctrinal stability, but also truth joined with love. Truth joined with love. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. Now notice how it says, this is another sign of maturity. You need to Speak the truth. Speak truthfully. We as a church need to be people, as Christians, as believers, that speak the truth. That we don't speak lies. That we're not liars. That you don't exaggerate the truth. That you're not speaking to please people. That you don't just change your answer every time someone asks you a question. You're not making things up as you go. And when you do that, it says a lot about who you are. It also says a lot about who you're not. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, didn't Jesus say, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the devil. 
is from the evil one. If you have to say more than yes and no, what is it that you're truly saying? Be simple and be a man and a woman of your word because you're a man and woman of God's word. So speak the truth. Oftentimes people say, well, it was the truth. I just exaggerated it a little bit. You know what, it, what it's called when you exaggerate the truth? A lie. It's a lie. In fact, the Lord spoke to the nation of Israel as they're rebuilding there the city and the temple through Zechariah. In Zechariah 8.16, it says this, These things you shall do as the city is rebuilt. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Don't be a liar. Give judgment in your gates for truth, for justice, for peace. Stand for the truth. Speak the truth. In Proverbs 6, verse 16, it speaks of those things that the Lord hates. Write this down, Proverbs 6, 16. It says, these six things the Lord hates. What are the six things the Lord hates? Yes, even a, a seven or an abomination to Him. Look at the list. A proud look. Number two on that list, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift, quick running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. Be careful that you don't go and give a witness about someone else that are lies. Because you're going to be held accountable for God for speaking lies about other people. You know what that's called? Slander. Speak the truth only. In fact, he says there in Proverbs 6, verse 19, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Why are you dividing with your lies? You see, the truth unites, but lies divide. Truth unites, and selfishness divides. And notice how it says, speak the truth in what? In love. Because love is the fruit of the Spirit. Speak the truth in the fruits of of the Spirit. It suggests here that everything that we say, that everything that we do should be honest, it should be true, and everything that we say, the way we say it, the way it's done, it should be in a loving manner. It should be in a loving manner. This is a mark of maturity. You want to know if you're truly mature in the Lord? Do you know how to do this? Because when you know how to do this, when you know how to really uh, speak the truth in love, it's a mark of maturity that you know how to blend truth and love. In fact, he's saying here, be truthing it in love. Today, maybe you have to have a difficult conversation with someone that you have to speak the truth. Well, truth it in love. Notice, it doesn't say speak the truth in anger or it doesn't say speak the truth in emotion or speak the truth in the flesh, or in pride. As believers, we're not speaking the truth because we want to win an argument. We're speaking the truth because we want to win a brother and a sister to Christ. That's why we speak the truth. That's why even today, maybe in your marriage with your children, with your co-workers, are you speaking the truth to them in love? With the brother and sister? What is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1? Paul says this, Brethren, if any of you is overtaken by any trespass, if you know of someone that needs a correction or an encouragement to be brought back now to the Lord, 
You who are spiritual, if you think you're spiritual and if you think you're mature, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. If it's not done in the spirit of gentleness, if it's not truth in love, then it's done the wrong way. It doesn't matter how much you know or if you're right. It has no effect. In the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So what is it that we should do? Speak the truth and love. But notice also, I want you to see this, that we should also never compromise the truth in the name of love. Never compromise the truth in the name of love. Speak the truth regardless of how painful it is. You know what the speaking the truth and love means? Is that you tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. That's why when we come to study God's word, we're coming here not for what we want to hear, but what we need to hear so that we can grow up in maturity into the image of the Son of God. And we also, we also should give people the permission to speak the truth to us even when it's not what we want to hear. When someone speaks the truth and love to you, be humble and receive it. <laughs> but we're, we're not uh, you know, there to defend ourselves or to make excuses or else you're not going to grow. In fact, without the truth, you'll never grow. So we cannot grow without the truth because truth dispels deception. And you know what truth also does? Truth keeps you accountable. That's why truth is so important because it keeps you accountable. But the church cannot have peace at any price. When we think about unity, when we think about speaking the truth in love, we can't just have peace at any price. You see, God's wisdom is first pure, the Bible tells us in James chapter 3, and then it's peaceable. Before you can have peace, you know what you need to have? Purity. Purity. That's why we speak the truth in love. Because the unity that we speak about, that, that peace that comes in the unity that we desire, notice, we desire the unity to first be pure and then for it to be peaceable. So he says, speak the truth in love. And what is the fruit of speaking the truth in love? Notice verse 15, it says, that you may grow up in all things. Circle the word grow up. In all things into Him who is the head of Christ. That as you're speaking the truth in love, you would grow in every way more and more like Christ. That's what the truth in love does. You can grow more and more like Christ. You're cultivating the purity. You're cultivating the unity in the body. And the evidence is growing up. The evidence is maturity. People will always grow if they receive truth and love. But it has to be done that way, the right way. Sometimes we, we now pride ourselves in having purity of doctrine. The purity of doctrine itself does not produce spiritual unity that he speaks of here in chapter 4. You can have purity of doctrine and still not have spiritual unity. There are churches that are sound when it comes to doctrine, that they're sound when it comes to the faith, but they are unsound when it comes to love. So that's exactly why here Paul is telling the church, he tell them, join these two, the truth and love, join them. Why? Because it's possible and you can say the right thing in the wrong way. And then instead of ministering to people, you know what you do? You hurt them. 
because it was done the wrong way. True love, speaking the truth in love, always speaks to people in the right time, with the right words, in the right spirit now, and using the right approach. You know how it's, it, it, it all involves maturity and growing up? It's been said before that love without truth, it's hypocrisy because you're compromising the truth. Love without truth is hypocrisy, but truth without love is brutality. You just hurt people. So what are we as believers called to do as we read this verse? Handle the truth with grace. Would you handle the truth with grace? Why? Because grace always builds trust. Grace always builds trust. When you're speaking the truth, but you're not speaking in love, you're being ungracious. You're being ungracious. But when you're speaking always in love and you're then suppressing the truth, then you're being unfaithful. So we're called to speak the truth in love. And if we speak the truth in love, we can equip one another, edify one another, and then we all grow up to be more like Christ. Notice how it says there, the last part of verse 15, that we grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. We can grow as we're submitted to the head. Who's the head? Christ. We never grow up into maturity, to the full stature, unless we're submitted to the head. He is the authority. You can't grow unless you're submitted and surrendered to the head. That's exactly, oftentimes, we're not submitted and surrendered to Christ. We're not going to have unity. We're not going to have truth and love. And you see that oftentimes in marriages, or you see that in relationships. You see that in the ministry. You see that in the body of Christ. Where we're, we're all not submitted together to the head. There's division. We need to be submitted to the head so that we can grow up into the maturity that you cannot have apart from the head who is Christ Jesus. So we saw the purpose of the gift, the language of love. Now notice verse 16, the ministry of growth. How do we continue growing? If you speak the truth in love and you're growing in every way into Him who is the head, Christ Jesus, then it describes here the whole body growing as well because you're submitted to the head from whom the whole body, verse 16, is joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Do you see there how it describes that as we're submitted to the head, we are now fit and joined and knit together? That's where the unity comes from. When we're submitted to the head. As we're submitted to the head, then we're joined perfectly together. And in fact, those words there in verse 16, joined and knit together speaks perfectly ready for use or well-placed. Now the body is well-placed. Now the body is perfectly fit. Now we're ready to grow together. Why? Because we're submitted to the head who's Christ. And he uses here this metaphor of the body the same as is true of the building. That we're joined together. That we're perfectly fit together as we're submitted to the head now. And we're well placed to work effectively now. So what do you see? Christ-likeness, doctrinal stability, truth and love. And verse 16, a cooperation together. This is all maturity. You're growing together. You're getting along with one another. You're serving together. 
Verse 16, knit together by what every joint supplies according to every part with, that does its share. Now notice that verse, it says according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Circle the words every part. Every part. Why? Because every part has its own special work in the body. Every one of us here have our own special work. And every part is essential to the full growth of the body as we're submitted to the Holy Spirit. And we're cooperating with one, one another. Did you know here, even as you read verse 16, that there are no insignificant parts of the body? There are none. Every part is necessary. I want you to know something. It says here in verse 16 that every part does its share. How does every part, how, how do we do our share every single part? Because every part has a gift. As you come today, are you doing your part in the body of Christ? Are you coming and saying, you know what, I want to grow. I'm being equipped to edify the church. I want to do my part so that the church continues to grow, so that the church is edified. Because when you're not doing your part, when you're not growing, we're not, you're not using your gift, the body suffers. God has given us gifts so that every part does its share. And what happens when every part does its share? Notice the outcome here in verse 16. It causes something. It causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. When every part is doing its share, when we're growing in maturity, the body grows as individual members. And then it grows also as we're feeding off the Word of God. Then we minister to one another. And the growth continues. Now I want you to know something. Maybe you come in, you're discouraged. You're saying, well, you know, I haven't seen much growth in my life in a while. <laughs> well, growth may not always be continuous, but the process always continues if you're submitted to the head. And the process continues until maturity. We never stop growing in the Lord. I mean, you, you hear the illustration of, of studies that have shown that, that plants, as plants grow, they have a period of growth followed by a period of rest and then followed by a period of producing fruit. Isn't that so interesting that even in our spiritual walk as well, that there is a period of growth followed oftentimes by a period of rest and then a period of producing fruit? But notice how that is possible. How do you produce fruit? How are you built to bless the body of Christ? Notice Hear this very last word, edifying of itself in love. This is the ingredient that is necessary so that the body continues to grow. That you edify itself, it edifies itself in love. Love is the atmosphere. Love is the environment. Love is the soil in which we ought to be planted in so that we can grow strong and healthy and produce that fruit. Edifying itself in love. It means that His life is reproduced in us. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So that we look like Him, we live like Him, we're, we're more like Him. That's the measure of spiritual growth in Christ. How much of Christ have you become? That is the measure, the true measure right there. To what extent is His life being reproduced in you? Because notice this, apart from love, the body will not grow. Did you know that, that apart from love, you're not going to grow? A lack of love stunts the growth of believers into maturity. You may say, well, I have a lot of experience in the Lord. That's not what makes you grow. That's not what edifies. What edifies is love. Paul told the church in Corinthians, 
Knowledge, what does it do? It puffs up. It makes you pride, your intellect. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. Love edifies. Don't say you know God so much, you're growing in your knowledge of God. The true evidence that you're growing in your knowledge of God, it's the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, that is being poured out of your life. That is the true evidence of your knowledge of God, the fruit of the Spirit. You can't say you know God without the fruit of the Spirit. The true evidence of your knowledge of God is the fruit of the Spirit that is coming out of your life. It's edifying in itself in love. Now, do you notice that, that love, he continues to, to mention it? How important love is for growth? In Ephesians 4.2, this same chapter, the second verse, he says, bearing with one another in love. In verse 15 of chapter 4, he says, speaking the truth in love. In verse 16 of chapter 4, he says, edifying of itself in love. How is it that you, we ought to grow today? We have, we have to grow in love. Love is how the believers grow. And love is the now signifying mark of maturity for the believer. Now, don't you notice how even as he wrote here to the church of Ephesus, to the Ephesians, John also, the apostle, also wrote to the church of Ephesus. Same church. And you notice he tells them in Revelation chapter 2 this. He says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you're doing the ministry. You cannot bear those that are evil and have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first, what? Love. To the same church. What is it that, that is needed in our lives today? That we would go back to our first love. Because when we're connected to our first love, we're submitted to our first love, you know what happens? We grow with the Lord and we grow with one another. And we grow with one another. Love is the foundation of all spiritual maturity. Love is the foundation of all spiritual maturity. And you know what oftentimes the Lord does because He loves you? He has to prune you so that you produce more fruit. He has to prune you so that you continue to grow. He has to prune you so that the fruit continues to come out of your life. But it's only as you're abiding in Him, as you're connected to Him. He said, I'm the vine, the Father's the vine dresser. He who abides in me and I in Him bears much fruit. For without me, what? You can do nothing. You can do nothing. So if we're going to grow up into maturity, we also have to be willing to say, Lord, in the process, prune me. Prune me so that I will grow up the way you want me to grow up into all things who's the head, the fullness, the stature of Christ. Let's pray.